Before we begin, um, some of our members amongst us have had some, some loss this week, and so I just wanted to take some time to pray um, for the loss of Pierre's uh, brother, and also for Cedric, his lost his sister. And uh, if you know David, Marion Kerr's David also had lost his mother um, a few weeks before. So let's just pray for comfort and peace. Holy God, we come to you with our hearts um, mourning with our brothers and sisters who mourn. I pray a blessing upon Pierre, the, the loss of his brother, and upon the entire family. We ask that you would be with them, comfort them. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're still kind of processing the shock of all this, and so just give them your grace and your comfort, and give them your wisdom of how, what they're supposed to do and how to go about the next few weeks, and um, this is the type of thing we know takes a long time of healing, and so just pray for your presence there. Let us as a church be faithful in prayer. And we pray the same thing for, for Cedric and for the loss of his sister in South Africa. Um, comfort the family. We thank you that she is with the Lord even now, and, and we ask that you would just allow that family to have, again, wisdom to know how to walk through the next time and, and the comfort and the peace of your presence. And for Dave, as he's mourning still the loss of his mother, would you come alongside them, come alongside this family? Let us as a church commit to encasing them in prayer. Let them feel the prayer of your saints and the love that we have for them, your children, through this time of loss. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. When we think of the Emancipation Proclamation, 1865, we think of a great moment in history where evil injustice over centuries was at least addressed formally. We know it would take a long time and still takes time in order for that uh, justice to be working itself out. Um, but I want to just take us back to that, that time in, in 1865 where, where all of a sudden, an entire segment of the population that was enslaved was declared legally free. And that would be a great moment, right? You'd be excited, and um, obviously, there's a whole future ahead with this new life that is given to them. At the same time, when you start to look back at that time, it was, it was actually not the easiest time. It was difficult. For, for some of those who were once in slavery, uh, they're looking at a future, and it's not certain. They don't know what they have. Obviously, um, what was happening earlier wasn't good, but they, they also didn't know exactly what was happening. And so what was interesting is we sort of look back in that time, and you start to look at the comments of some of the slaves, there was kind of this ambiguity, and there was, for some of them, even a longing maybe to have what they knew. Anthony Dawson from North Carolina said, he, he kind of felt like he was just left without protection all of a sudden. Booker T. Washington says that many of the older slaves especially returned to their old homes and made some kind of contract with their former owners by which they remained on the estate. So there was a, there was a, a lot of people who kind of stayed in that position. Charles Anderson talked about going away, not really knowing when, when the freedom happened. And he said that he, he gave back a horse when he left. And, and then he said this, I, I cried for an entire year to go back. When you think about this, you start to recognize the reality of, of this new life ahead of them and yet the difficulties. And part of the difficulties was that when these, these proclamations of freedom were given, the Yankee soldiers would come into the plantation and they would read this freedom right, explain to them that you are free now. At the same time, those same Yankee soldiers were, would be stealing from the populace. And, 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 and it was said that the slaves said actually they were more fearful of those soldiers stealing than, than 
They were their masters that time. Where were they going? What was, what was happening? And, and I think if we think about our own spiritual lives, there's a lesson to be learned in this, which is that when we're no longer slaves to fear, when we're no longer slaves to sin, when we are freed and we're given this new life, it's easy to get pulled back to the old. It's easy to start to feel the lure of what is comfortable, what you knew. And what Christ calls us to is to embrace and to live in the freedom which he offers. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. It begins by saying this, this beautiful picture. It says, Christ's love controls us. This, this picture of the love of Jesus surrounding and circling us, encasing us, and making sure that it is leading us forward. This is a great promise of new life, that we have this love looking out for us. And he said this, and then we believe that Christ died for us, and because he died for us, we've all died to our old life. This beautiful picture of what Christ has done, that he, he gave himself in order for our, our life of sin to be washed away, to take it, take it away, to, to take the old life, this life that was characterized by its addictions, by its um, uh, fears, by its uh, pursuit of pleasures, all these things that once characterized us are now made new. This is the reality of Christ. And when we receive this life, he says that, that we no longer live for ourselves. Something changes us where we start living for Christ. Why was Paul saying that, that now as a, as a believer and a follower of Christ, he can no longer live for himself? What is it about receiving Christ that makes your life new, that makes it so that you're no longer living in your own self-pursuit? And I love this picture. He says, it's because Christ let me live. I had this, this life, and, and all of a sudden, Christ gave to me his self-sacrifice, and, and now I recognize that I have to live like that. How can I live free of myself? Because Christ lived selflessly. Because he lived for me, and now I've been given this. And so he says, dying with Christ should turn into a living for Christ. The outcome of the denial of the old life is this walking in this new life with Christ where your concern is for other people. I'm not sure where you've come to Christ, or some of you maybe are still kind of considering whether you will. That there's a part of us often that comes to Christ in a crisis, Maybe a part of our old life kind of boiled up and we realized, like, this is, I can't, I can't live like this. I can't live as a slave to, to this addiction. I can't live uh, just always feeling the, the pressure of this, my past on me. I need to be freed. Do you remember that need for the freedom? Do you remember when you received Christ and the freedom came? 
For me, it was, I remember I was in high school and, and living a life where I, I, was, I just wanted to, you know, be popular. I wanted to, I was partying with my friends. It was kind of this, this, this life where I was trying to have friends and dull pains. And then when God came, he, 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 he took it away. He freed me. And I remember a freedom. I became a new creation. I was made new. I had a new heart a new passion, a new joy. But sometimes the old life starts pulling back. And when Jesus comes into your life, he, he changes us. And what's interesting is it says he changes you, and then he wants you to start looking at life through new eyes. To not get pulled back to that old way of seeing things. And that's not just about looking at yourself, that's also about how you look at everyone else. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, period. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. I love this picture of learning to look at the world from a new point of view, from the point of view of the new life. Recognizing that, that we all need grace. This is how it all started. That God loved us when, when there was a lot of unlovable parts to us. He loves us even though there are still unlovable parts to us. So what does a person look like in the eyes of a new creation? When you look at someone and you see them as a, a new creation in Christ, how, how do you look at them? Do you see the seeds of salvation that are springing up? Do you see the places where the new life is poking up through the dirt, just through the soil, little sprouts of the new life coming to life? Do you see those things when you look at people? Because when you look at them with the old eyes, you start looking at people through the eyes of the human perspective. Look what Paul says. He said, I used to look at Jesus that way. Paul used to look at Jesus. And he heard the name Jesus. He said, ah, that's that messianic fraud guy. He's one of those guys, just like all the others, that kind of rose up, said he was Messiah, got caught, killed by the authorities. His, his followers, they're kind of just crazy. They can't accept that he's dead. They've either convicted, created some type of fraud where they took the body away or they're just, they're believing something that is insane. That's how he looked at it, through his own eyes. And then he said, when he met Jesus, everything changed. He got new eyes. He looked at people through a new perspective. He looked at people and he saw, just like he looked at Jesus and saw a brand new thing. He saw it in a new way. He sees others in that same new way. He sees others who don't know Christ as people who have the potential to have the new creation built and born in them. He looks at people who have Christ and he says, look at, I can see the sprouts of life, the new creation are growing up within that person. How do you look at people? How do you look at people in the church? Is it easy to, to evaluate through the eyes of the world? 
to, to look into it in a way where you, you look at people and you see, oh, they could do better at this, and there's this thing here, and there's that there. Rather than see, look at the new life being born inside this person. What is their new life potential? It's easy to, to look at people through the old eyes, be impressed by their physical prowess and accomplishments. I mean, just think about David, King David. If you remember the, the story of his selection, it's very interesting the way people looked at him and looked at his family. Samuel's told, go find a new king. He'll be from the, the family of Jethro. And he sits down and, and he starts seeing the brothers come through and they're big and tall and handsome. He's like, oh, good, we can get this big, tall guy who's strong and bulky, just like, like Saul, because Saul's gonna go and we, we don't want people to feel like they missed something. So he's gonna be just like Saul, he'll be big. And Oh no, that, that one didn't work out. Okay, the next one, oh, this one has these things going on. And each of them they saw it, in the eyes of the world, they're like, oh, this is good king material. Samuel gets all the way to the end of the line. Seventh person, okay, I guess this has to be them, finds out God says no. Why, God? Like, it's exactly late. And what I love is, they ask the, 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 the father, Jethro, so you sure you don't have any other kids? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. The one out in the, in, in the, the, one out in the pasture, forgot about him. He's not much by a world eyes, so I don't, you don't even have to take a look at him. Bring him to me. As he comes up, he's short, says he's ruddy. He's probably all muddy from being out in the pasture with the sheep. Kind of smells like sheep. And Samuel looks at him through the eyes of God and says, I see a new creation. I see a new kingdom. The old is gone. The new is here. That's how God works. He looks at things differently. He looks at people differently. He looks at them as new life. So are you looking at yourself through those eyes? Or are you looking at yourself through the eyes of the old life? The old person. Here's the objective reality. We know this. this is what we're told for a fact. A follower of Jesus is a new person. The old is gone. The new has begun. Romans 6 puts it this way. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. So the sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. That old life where you felt controlled by the sinful nature, where you couldn't make a decision, you could never go against it. It was just like, I can't, I can't help it. It is dead. But how? If you're a follower of Jesus for any matter of time, you probably say to yourself, yeah, I know I'm a new creation. Sometimes I don't feel like a new creation. Like when you say, yes, I know that sin has defeated me, I, I, there's this sin here that I don't know, I don't know if I can ever let it go. I don't know if it will ever let go of me. I feel like I was this new creation, but maybe I've kind of come under the spell of the old life. And this is the tension of the reality of the new creation, is that we are new creations, and yet we're not quite yet there. 
We've got the blossoming of life. The new life is within us. We are a new person, and yet it still has to grow. Worse yet, our, our sinful self is crucified up on this cross, and it's not, not at longer have any legal control over us, but there's this kind of this comfort, isn't there? Like, I know this way. This is kind of who I am. I'm a, I'm a slave to this. I, I'm going to go back. And it's calling at you. You'll never be free of that addiction. You'll never be free of that thing that happened. You'll never be. And it's kind of yelling at you, and you're listening to it. It's, isn't it easy to fall victim to the voice of the old self? And the new self is pulling you forward. No, you're no longer a slave to sin. And it's like, ah. and what happens is we often go, yes, but I kind of I like it here. And then we start to tell ourselves, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of here. This is just who I am. And the reality is that's not who you are. You are the new creation. This thing has no hold over you, but it's easy to give it back some control, isn't it? Isn't it easy to go back to the plantation? And yet God is calling us. This, this old you sitting on the cross, it's crucified. It's, it's pinned to a cross, and it's still trying to bark orders at you. It has no power unless you listen to it. Unless you give it the voice. It says it's dead, but it feels alive, but it's dead and it's old. And this word old, this old self, it's kind of like, almost like an ancient, archaic, no longer useful thing. Like maybe bell-bottom jeans. It's like, that's, that's, that's what you're dealing with here. Why are you going back? Luckily, it's not back in order right now, so... There's this pull of the old life. And this is what Paul continues to say. All of this, all this newness, all this new creation that you are is a gift from God. You didn't earn it. You didn't become good enough. You didn't have to, oh, it's because I defeated this sin. No, no, you were just given this new life. And hopefully when you came to Christ, there were some freedoms that you tangibly realized happened. You saw things in your life, shackles breaking free. It was a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message, reconciliation. God is as surely the author of this new created self that you are, as he was of the old creation. He gave it to you as a gift. And he wants to do something through you with it. He wants to continue this work he has of reconciling the earth to himself. This new creation thing, it, it spreads out, it boils out beyond you because you can attest to it. Look at this thing that's in my life that's new. And others see it and they get attracted and pulled towards it. This new creation reconciliation is a beautiful thing. It, it actually goes down to the very ground we walk on, the environment. We are told that God is going to create a new heavens and earth. And in the meantime, this earth is groaning. It's hurting. It needs to be reconciled. The stain of sin, the stain of the curse is just upon it. And here we are, agents of reconciliation, 
beginning the work of God, drawing all things back to himself. There are objective aspects of this reality. You are a new creation. It's just what you are. And not only are you a new creation, you're called to testify to this new creation and start to share the reality of the new creation in your life so that others are brought in. No more counting sins against us. We have this new life. It's in hand. It's not, we're not holding on to the old. We're starting to see these new shoots start to buzz up from the, the earth. And maybe there's some, some shoots are particularly flowerful. You've seen certain things in your life. You're like, like I used to be so impatient and now like I'm a patient person. Oh, that's part of the new life. This garden of the new life of your soul. And there's maybe another one that's popping up like, you know what, like, I'm just starting to see the seeds of peace. I thought I would always lack peace. And now there's this little, little shoot of peace is just poking up. This is the reality of the garden of the new life that God wants to bring forth in you. So what does this new life theology mean? If, if we believe that we have a new life, what I think it believes is, is that this, this new life, as long as I'm alive here, is never done. He's, just, he's kind of peeling away layers. Sometimes it's peeling away a bad layer or just getting rid of something that's blocking the new life from coming out. And sometimes it's putting in a new, new piece and showing you the onion that he's pulling away and, and this new creation he's starting to show, this new garden he's starting to build lets me know that I have something to do in all this. So there's the new life that he's given to me and yet I still have this place where I have to, I have to look for those seeds. So I've been looking at my own life and asking God, okay, what's the, the new creation reality for Cyril? What are you saying to me that you want to see be tended to and cared to so that the shoots of this grow into something even more beautiful? What's the new life reality? What's the next step in your growth in your new life? Now, I want to throw this out there. I feel like I've always felt like a pretty productive person. I feel like someone who gets things done. I have, I, I ha, I'm a pastor. I teach. I have a family. I have, I, you know, I, I felt, I always felt really, and then what God's been starting to say to me lately is when I started looking at other people and I started seeing how, how the new life is kind of gardened in their life. I said, oh, there's something over there that's pretty, pretty interesting. Not to compare myself and then bring it down. This is actually uh, talking about a positive thing. I'm looking at some people, I'm saying, look at the way that they are being used and getting things done. I'm like, I, like to, I think I like, that's pulling at me. I want to be a little more productive. Like I have a book manuscript that's been sitting there for a while. I think, like maybe God, you're saying to me, this is a place where the new life will start to grow. And that's how the new life works. It's always bubbling new things. And there's other things in my life I'm sure that God has kind of showed me and saying, hey, here's the place where I want the new life to go for you next. I see, see this idea of new creation kind of shining through me. And I look at that and I, th- I see that future new creation. I think, oh, that, that's, that's a, a more beautiful version of Cyril. That's, a, that's the new life having more strength and, and not being pulled into the old life. And I feel like it's something I've learned by looking around and seeing my fellow believers and seeing things and seeing how God works and going, ah, okay, pull me forward, Lord. Become a more effective minister of reconciliation, Cyril. 
all right. What holds me back? What, maybe there's fears, right? Like, oh, I don't want to say this in front of everyone. No, I have to do it. Maybe it's um, hurt. There's been things said, there's things, and you're, you're just feeling a pain, and you're like, oh, this new creation self, I don't Where is God calling you to manifest your new life? Is it removing a layer? Is there, is there maybe some type of addiction, some type of pattern in your life that you know God's saying, like, I want to I pull that away gently, but maybe quickly, just like a bad band-aid? Maybe it's going to take a long time. Maybe this is one of those procedures that take years for the new life to actually come up. So maybe it's this thing where, where you're feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm always pulled this way. I want to put this out there to you. You don't need to do this alone. In fact, sometimes we need other people to come alongside us from our church family who are brothers and sisters who can see through the eyes of the new creation, look at us and say, I'm here for you. You're saying you're having this issue of looking at the internet too much in this area. You know what? A few of us are going to come beside you and walk alongside you and keep you accountable for this. This is why we have 12-step programs and things like that. The point is that the new creation is real and you don't have to be held in slavery any longer. There's freedom. And do you believe that? When you hear this, you have a new life. Do you believe that? Do you receive that? Do you, do, you, do you hold on to that? Do you recognize the potential that God has to do this work in your life? Maybe instead of taking something away, he's, he's going to do something new where he's like, more kindness, more generosity. Maybe he's saying, here's some more peace, or here's some joy, or some loving, or be bold. And he's putting this in your heart, and you can see the shoot coming up, and he's saying, I want that to grow. More Jesus, less me. Let's keep our eyes on the, on the new life. Living for Jesus. So what does the new creation you look like? What does the new you look like? I'd like to take us to take a moment. If we could maybe close our eyes. We'll take just a minute or two. And, and I'm just going to ask you to, to maybe have God show you a picture what is it that he's sprouting up in your life right now? What is, he, what is he calling you to? What is the new creation reality that he's bringing you into in the next year? Show us, God. Lord, may we see these pictures become a living reality and may our lives attest to the fact that you have made us a new creation. Amen. And I was thinking about this picture of the old and the new life and, and the pull it can have towards us. And, and God kind of uh, used something that, it, that I've read recently on the internet that I thought was really interesting. And he kind of showed me like, hey, maybe this is something that we all should take to heart. There was a letter that was written from a former slave to his former owner. Have you guys seen this on, on the internet? It's a very interesting letter where, where he, his name is Jordan Anderson, and he was once in the house of Colonel Patrick Anderson. And Patrick Anderson, after, this is 1866, I think, uh, 1856, sorry. Um, he's, he's, been, he's been freed for a year, this 
uh, Jordan, and he's left Tennessee, and he's gone all the way to Ohio. And he's dealing with the situation where uh, he, gets a, he gets a call from his little master saying, like, I need you back. Basically, his house has fallen into disrepair. There is no um, uh, or, uh, organization. Uh, Jordan had really helped keep the place running right. And so he's, he's kind of desperate. He's, his mortgage is collapsing. He's like, ah, I need you back. Come back. And so this is the response that Jordan writes. I'm going to not read the whole thing, but a bunch of it, where, where he's, he's writing back to his master. And what I want us to think of, think of this as ourselves writing back to our old life. That kind of always pulls us back. Letter from a freedman to his old master. Sir, I got your letter, and I was glad to find that you had not forgotten Jordan and that you wanted me to come back and live with you again promising to do better for me than anyone else can. I've often felt uneasy about you. I thought the Yankees would have hung you long ago before this for harboring the Rebs they found at your house. I suppose they never heard about your going to Colonel Martin's to kill the Union soldier that was left by his company in their stable. Although you shot at me twice before I left you, I didn't want to hear of your being hurt, and I'm glad that you're still living. It would be good for me to go back to the dear old home again and see Miss Mary and Miss Martha and Alan, Esther, Green, and Lee. Give my love to them all and tell them I hope we will meet in the better world, if not in this. I would have gone back to see you all when I was working in Nashville Hospital, but one of the neighbors told me that Henry intended to shoot me if he ever got the chance. I wanted to know particularly what the good chance is you propose to give me. I'm doing tolerably well here. I get $25 a month with victuals and clothing, and I have a comfortable home for Mandy. The folks call her Ms. Anderson. And the children, Millie, Jane, and Grundy, go to school and they're learning well. The teacher says that Grundy has a head for a preacher. They go to Sunday school, and Mandy and me attend church regular. We are kindly treated. And then he starts to go into some of the stuff that has gone, uh, gone wrong. And then he says this, As to my freedom, which you say I can have here, there is nothing to be gained on that score. As I got my free papers in 1864, the provost marshal general of the Department of Nashville. Mandy says she would be afraid to go back with some, without some proof that you were disposed to treat us justly and kindly. And we have concluded to test your sincerity by asking you to send us our wages for the time we served you. Ah. This will make us forget and forgive old scores and rely on your justice and friendship in the future. I served you faithfully for 32 years and Mandy 20 years. At $25 a month for me and $2 a week for Mandy, our earnings would amount to $11,680. Add to this the interest for the time our wages have been kept back and deduct what you paid for our clothing, three doctor's visits to me, uh, for me, and pulling a tooth for Mandy, and the balance will show that we are injustice entitled to. And he starts to talk about how they had been robbed of their work. And then he concludes with that part with this. Surely there will be a day of reckoning for those who defraud the labor of his hire. It's a prophetic word. which actually comes true because he loses the house and dies early, unfortunately. 
In answering this letter, please state if there would be any safety for my Millie and Jane, who are now grown up and both good-looking girls. You know how it was with poor Matilda and Catherine. I would rather stay here and starve and die if it come to that than have my girls brought to shame by the violence and wickedness of their young masters. You will do also, please state, if there's been any schools open for the colored children in your neighborhood, the, desire, the great desire of my life now is to give my children an education and have them form virtuous habits. Your old servant, Jordan Anderson. P.S. Say howdy to George Carter and thank him for taking the pistol from you when you were shooting at me. Oh, is that beautiful letter. If you could read it in its entirety, do it. Just think of, of what's being said there. And he's kind of facetious when he says, hey, give us this $11,000. I love it, though. This is, this is what you've taken from me. Illegally. Against the will of the creator. Have you ever said that through your old life? Like, that's what you did to me. I, I got to remember all the hurt, all the, the ways you pulled me down. He remembers the abuse. It makes sense the landlord wanted Jordan back. This is a last-ditch effort, right? Let me put it this way. Your old life and the evil one is making a last-ditch effort to pull you back. It wants you back. It will take you down. It will remind you of the comfort you had, the things that you, the good times you had, the connections that you had, familiarity to the place, people you loved in that place, the cultural similarity. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot different in Ohio than it was back in Tennessee. I'm sure the weather was a lot better in Tennessee. There's this pull where things are in your life, you're being whispered like, yeah, but don't you remember how that felt so good? Or don't you remember how you felt powerful when? Or, and it's pulling you back. And I would wonder what it would be like if we wrote our letter to our old self. He's like, write that letter. And I won't forget you tried to kill me. And this new way of life, it's better in every way. It's, it's not abusive. It's, it's, there's hope for the children. Those guys has his hope for his children to be educated. It's like we have this hope for those in our family, our church family, for the next generation. Like, oh, this, this gives them an open way of life following Jesus. There's this favor, this being treated kindly, this idea of like, you know what? I'm not saying, obviously, life isn't perfect when you're a new creation. There's the hurts, there's the pains, there's the loss. But life is better for being a new creation. This freedom that you have, it's not, it's not an illusion of freedom. Oh, I can freedom. No, you're really free. You're no longer chained by those sins holding you down. There's a freedom that comes in Christ that you want. The freedom from the habits that you had, the freedom from the expectations people put upon you. And this is the call that we're hearing. Let Christ live in you and through you. Let the new you be released. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to lead you to what is next in the new life because it keeps growing. What's the newest thing he's bringing into your life? What is the aspect of, the, of you being a new creation that he is now trying to bear fruit with? And as you allow him to show that to you, as you allow that new life to awaken in your heart, you start to feel free. You start to be able to share with a reality. 
You start to be able to just shine the light of Christ. You start to see the world being reconciled to Christ because you are reconciled through him. Live for Christ. His love controls us. See that others are being transformed. And as you look at them, look at the, the ways in which the new creation is actually becoming permanent in their life. The things that are starting to build up who they are becoming in Christ and encourage that. Become an agent of reconciliation because you are a taste of the new.